as well. Last Sunday morning, we looked at a topic that was supposed to be only one Sunday to complete. And that topic was how to read the Bible. I thought as we would begin a new year, that we would start off fresh. People are out making resolutions and trying to decide things that they want to do in a new year that maybe they didn't see through it in the previous year. And so I wanted to capitalize on that and talk about our reading of Scripture. Reading our Bible should be our top priority. And this year, I'm certainly wanting to encourage you to read your Bible or read it more than you are reading it. In a recent poll conducted by Lifeway Research, 83% said that they are more likely to talk to God through prayer rather than reading the Bible. So only 17% in this survey admitted that they read the Bible. Well, that's not good, and that's certainly not encouraging. 17% out of 83%. That leaves roughly 67% that say they pray but they don't read the Bible. In other words, they have a one-way conversation with God. They talk to Him, but He doesn't talk back to them. Why would I say that? Well, God only speaks through His Word. If you never read your Bible or you read it very little, then you're not hearing from God, and that is certainly a problem. No wonder the church is ignorant of God's word and his standard as well as his will. Last week I pointed out that when you pray, you're actually talking to God, and when you read the Bible, God is talking to you. Both are extremely important, and both should be a regular daily activity in your life. You know, even the world recognizes the benefits of reading One website noted that six additional minutes of reading per day can significantly improve reading performance. And I've seen that in my years as a teacher working with students. It certainly improves even more, I believe, when you read it out loud. Another site said reading can reduce stress levels by 68%. Well, I don't know if I agree with that because there are some parts of the Bible that are pretty stressful. And it's worse if you're not a Christian. Because what future do you have to look forward to if you live your life apart from God? Eventually it's going to be what? Hell. And that's certainly stressful. But unfortunately, Americans between the ages of 15 and 44 only spend 10 minutes or less of their day reading any book. We already know that the books that they're reading doesn't include the Bible for 67% of them. Another website said, if you commit yourself to reading for at least 20 minutes every day, you will have exposure to approximately 2 million words annually. I can certainly see that happen when you read your, your vocabulary increases. Other sites noted these benefits. Reading helps reduce mental decline by 32%. David said in Psalm 
119 verse 99, he said, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. 19% of readers say spending time with a book makes them feel less lonely. Well, think about spending time with your Bible as you commune with the living God. You certainly won't be lonely. Or if you read the narratives in the Bible, you'll be reading about other people in the Bible and you'll have conversation with them from your reading and it's reading back to you and so forth. And some parts of the Old Testament or some parts of the New Testament, like the Gospels, I like to hear it read back from a dramatized version where they're acting it out, even though the words are the same, but you have it acted out. That's very helpful too. But the point is, is that when you're reading the Bible, you're engaging with the author. Reading for six minutes, they say, slows your heart rate and eases tension. Again, I think that depends on what you're reading. Like I said, there are parts of the Bible that can be pretty stressful. And if you're not a Christian or if you're ignorant of the subject matter, that certainly doesn't help. Another statistic says lifelong readers have a lower rate of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia than their peers. So you can just see just reading alone is very helpful because it increases your intelligence. It informs you. It gives you knowledge. And best of all, it makes you think. That's what I love about print on a page. It's frozen right there in time. I can read this. If I don't understand, I can go back and read it again. If I still don't get it, I can read it again. If I miss kind of what the author is saying, I can back up and read a little bit more before that and make sure I'm within context of what the author is saying. But all of that occurs when you're reading. But I think the most important thing that occurs when you read the Bible and you do it on a regular basis is it causes you to know Him, to know the Creator. It'll cause you to know about heaven, to know about hell, to know about salvation, to know about God, to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, to know about the Holy Spirit, to know about spirit-filled living, as well as a host of other subjects. And if it's not addressed directly in the Bible, then the Bible gives you principles that you can apply to your decision-making. So to get the most out of your Bible reading, I'm suggesting that there are five ways that you can read it. Now, we talked about three of them last time, and so let me quickly review what they were. We said first you need to read prayerfully. Our reading should be done with the deepest reverence. No one can comprehend the teachings of the Bible in his own ability. You must have the assistance of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us in our infirmities, but he doesn't help us in our idleness. Even the psalmist prayed this in Psalm 119 and verse 18. He said, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. David was basically praying that God would unveil his eyes. He wanted God to take away from his eyes what is before them that prevents clear vision. So before you start reading your Bible, it's crucial then that you pray. Prayer and Bible reading go together, and so does dependence on the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing that we said. The second thing, we said you must read undistractedly. 
The number one reason why people don't read the Bible is because they're too busy. George Barnes said 40% reported that their Bible reading decreased because they were too busy with life responsibilities. But, you know, that's not all. We also said a second distraction is TV. If you're an average American, 18 years of age, you've already amassed about 18,000 hours of TV viewing. Experts tell us that by the time a TV-raised American reaches the age of 65, he will have an average of nine and a half years of solid TV viewing. That's 15% of a person's life spent in front of a TV set. If, on the other hand, they said if a person went to Sunday school regularly from birth till age 65, he would only have a total of four months of solid Bible teaching. Yesterday... I read an article in Newsweek that was more alarming than the statistics about TV viewing. The article said the average teenager looks at screens 7.4 hours per day, not counting homework. Another article said on average, adults spend about 11 hours a day staring at some kind of screen, whether that be a computer or phone, tablet or TV or any other type of electronic device. Now keep in mind, for office workers, some of that is unavoidable, right? You go to work, you work on a computer, there you are. You spend your eight hours, eight hours plus, right there in front of that. If most of this is at work, then it's certainly not as bad as it sounds. The point is, there are many things to distract us. Some people don't read their Bible because they are either too lazy or tired. But being busy or tired or lazy to read the Bible is certainly a dangerous combination. And guess what? If all three of those things are going on or two of them, you're not going to read the Bible. So you have to push through it. You must make the Bible a priority you cannot go without. If you remember, Jesus was busy when he kept it certainly a priority to spend time with the Father. He's our example of how we keep the Father first. The more his popularity had risen because of his teaching and his miracles, uh, he had very little time, but he would always spend some time with the Lord by himself in prayer. Other times he would slip away and pray. Sometimes he would spend the entire evening in prayer. Other times it would be early in the morning. And so if Jesus needed time alone with the Father, then guess what? You and I need it too. So you need to read prayerfully and undistractedly. I don't know why I'm having trouble with that word. Undistractedly. And third, you need to read daily. In our day of technology, there's certainly no excuse for not reading your Bible every day. Listening to the Bible read can be done from anywhere, just about. But to read your print Bible, of course, you have to schedule time. If you're at places where you can't listen to the Bible, then take your print Bible with you. And then make some moments to read. You know, if you do that, it can be a witness. We were one Tuesday night at the skating rink. My kids are doing ice skating, and we were there, and I brought my Bible that particular evening, and I sat at a table, and I pulled it out, and people all around me, there's people everywhere, 
I mean, they're just like spilling over like ants. They're just everywhere at that skating rink. And I was just sitting there, I was just reading the Bible. So we were going through Third John, and I just wanted to just keep reading, keep reading. I wanted my Bible in front of me because this is where you get your familiarity with the, where things are. You're reading the same Bible. And so I was just sitting there reading it, making some notes. And a few minutes later, the guy next to me uh, looked over and commended me for pulling my Bible out and reading. He commended me for that. Uh, to be honest with you, I was pulling it out regardless. I didn't have any other thought in my mind other than I wanted to read through this text a number of times while I was sitting here. And, uh, but like I said, people watch you do this. They see it. It's just like when you go to lunch. When you go to lunch this afternoon, if you eat out, and if you pray, and you got your family there praying, or your wife or your husband, you're praying, you got your heads bowed, your eyes, and you're praying, you know, people notice that. Even though you're not doing it to be noticed. We don't be like the Pharisees, right? But we're talking to our Heavenly Father. We're thanking Him for this wonderful food that we're about to eat. And so, it can be a witness. And by the way, it ended up striking up a pretty good conversation with the guy next to me. And then I met his wife, and again, we all got into this nice conversation about spiritual things. We need to remember that we need the Word of God every day. And if on those days you feel like you don't need it or you don't feel like reading or you don't feel like praying, you, you need to realize that's probably when you need it the most. And you just got to push through that. But we also need to remember something Jesus said in Matthew 4.4. 4. And as I was meditating on this last night and this morning, I began to think something else about this verse. The verse is this, Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you hear what he said? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's my thought yesterday. I was thinking, wow, that is a good support for expository preaching. Because what does expository preaching do? It talks about every word, doesn't it? And we try to communicate through expository preaching how important every word in the Bible is. Now, I listen to different versions, and I read different versions, but I primarily work out of the New American Standard Bible because I believe it is the most literal to the Hebrew and Greek. It's the most literal of the translations. Now, there are some really good translations out there. ESV is right there in a close second, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, now we have the... Legacy Standard Bible that's out. That's really the New American Standard Bible with some few word variations, good word variations at that. But Jesus, like I said, identifies to us what our priority should be. Some people live for food. That's all they think about is food. And I tell you what, I have some days where I just can't get fed enough. And I'm, I don't know if it has to do with my diabetes or anything like that, but there's some days I just tell my wife, you know, we've, we've been eating. I'm going, I am still hungry. I don't get that. But wouldn't that be nice to transfer that to the Bible? You spend some time in the Word of God, and hopefully you've been doing it this week. You started reading the Gospel of Mark, and only one chapter a day, five minutes. Uh, what I've started doing with it this past week, and I'm not telling you this to impress you, I'm just telling you this is what I desire to do, is I decided to do it about four times each chapter. And here's what I'm doing. I'm reading it in the New American Standard Bible, and then I'm reading it again in the Legacy Standard Bible, and then I'm listening to it in the NIV and the ESV. And maybe I could add a 
fifth time, I go back through it again, and I'm looking at the content that's in each of those chapters because I want to remember what's there. And so I'm doing that for my own personal gain here. I want to remember what I'm reading. And I don't know about you, sometimes, you know, some distractions just happen. You can't get away from them. And maybe the room is quiet, and you're just distracted. Your mind is everywhere, you know? And so reading it a couple times can be helpful. And each of those chapters are, are short. It only takes you just a couple minutes to read through a chapter. I think that we need to adopt the same attitude that Job had. Job said in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So that, beloved, is the desire I think we should have. Now, I talked about last week, one of the ways that you can read the Bible is to have some kind of Bible reading plan. Now, either whether you follow a written out plan or you have some kind of mental plan, something you've come up with, it's helpful to have some kind of guide, some kind of plan. And your plan may be no more than this. I'm going to read for the next so many days or so many weeks. I'm going to read the first four Gospels. Or maybe you don't want to take a whole year and read the New Testament. You want to read it in three months. You can do that very easily. I mentioned a Bible reading plan last week. It's called the 5 by 5 by 5 plan, five minutes a day, five days a week. And the last five is basically just talking about five ways you can dig deeper into the Scripture. So my question to you is, are you doing it? Are you reading? And again, you don't have to follow that plan. You can follow another plan or have some kind of plan on your own. The point is, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And I hope that you started that on Monday. I like what Irvin Jensing says. He says, we need to have a Medo-Persian hour, an unchangeable hour for our Bible study. So we need to read prayerfully, undistractedly, and daily. And now the fourth, and this is where we'll pick up this morning, we need to read repetitiously. I've already hinted at that with a few things that I just shared with you, but we do need to take the time to read the text a number of times. Now, when I'm studying through a passage, uh, this is something that I do religiously. If I'm looking at, say, we're studying the book of James, and I'm looking at the first 12 verses of chapter 1 because all of the 12 verses talk about the same subject. So I'm going to focus just on those 12 verses, and I'm going to read them, I'm going to read them, I'm going to read them. Now, I know I probably won't teach on all 12. <laughs> I know that for sure. I may teach on only a couple verses. And as I begin to narrow in on a couple verses, I'm going to read those repetitiously. And I may read it 30, 40, 50 times. Because each time you read, you begin to see more things. You get more ideas. You get more direction. Uh, questions come up. This is why I talked about having a pad uh, right there with you and a pencil while you're reading because you're going to read things and questions are going to come up and if you just jot them down, I promise you, in your reading, they will be answered. Especially if you're reading the Old Testament too. Because the Old Testament helps to explain things that we read in the New Testament, and the New Testament explains what we're reading in the Old Testament. You need them both. But as you read uh, the words, the verses, the passages over and over again and again and again, you will become more and more familiar with it. 
At the end of one week, you will have developed a good working understanding of what's going on in the chapter or the passages that you're reading. If you followed us in this 5 by 5 by 5 plan this week, you will have read Mark 1 through 5. Take Saturday and Sunday off, or use Saturday to catch up on what you missed during the week. And then starting tomorrow, you'll start chapter 6, and you'll read 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Monday through Friday, take Saturday and Sunday off. If you just do that, minimally, you will have read through the New Testament in a year. If you can do that, that's simple. I pick the simplest process. Now, I don't want you to limit yourself to that. Certainly, you can read more than that. There are times you have more time, whether it's at work or at home, to read more or reading with your wife or your husband. I think at the end of two weeks, if you're doing this, your critical thinking of the verses begin to intensify. At the end of a month, in the same section of Scripture, it becomes, as one writer says, an old friend that you're sad to leave when you move on to the next book of the Bible. Now, there are several ways to do this. I'm only going to mention two of them. One of those plans you already may be familiar with. I've mentioned it before. But the plan, the first plan is one that was developed by John MacArthur, one he shares in his study of how to study the Bible. And that's basically taking a book of the Bible, and he's specifically talking about the New Testament, so maybe taking 1 John and reading it for 30 days. Every day, 1 through 5, chapters 1 through 5 for 30 days. Some people have never read through an entire book in their life. So this might be new for you. But if every day you wake up tomorrow morning, you're reading 1 John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Put it up, about 20 minutes. Tuesday, you go back and do it again, chapters 1 through 5. Wednesday, 1 through 5. Thursday, 1 through 5. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're going to do it every day. And then while you're doing it, take a 3 by 5 index card and try to summarize the content of each chapter in just a sentence. Or a couple words. Now, I did this years ago with the book of James. Plus, I've taught through James about three or four times. I could tell you, even to this day, what's in every chapter of James. I don't have a problem with it at all. It's because I did it so many times. You could take larger books and break them up into smaller sections. So, like, for instance, the Gospel of John has 21 chapters. You can do... Uh, First seven chapters for 30 days, the second seven chapters for 30 days, the third seven chapters for another 30 days. So it take you, what, 90 days to read through the Gospel of John, and you've got your card there, and you've got the summary of each of the chapters, <clears throat> and you pull that out while you're reading, and you look at that summary, and you're going to remember what's in there. Whatever it takes to help you remember, that's the point. Little devotionals, I don't always look to them <clears throat> because I don't think that they're really helpful in remembering unless there was a story in there that just really got your attention. But for the most part, don't you want to remember what you read? Especially if you read that morning and you got mid, uh, midway in the day or toward the end of the day and you're thinking back on what you read that morning and you go, oh, I can't even remember what I read. Now you have to ask, was that even profitable or beneficial to you? It was at the time when you did it. But don't you want it to carry you through the whole day? I do. So, another method is built off the first one. And instead of 
doing it for 30 days, this author, he says he took after a while and began to develop the same kind of priority, but instead of doing it for 30 days, he focused more on the number of times he read. Because that's what you're doing, 30 days, 30 times. And so what he learned is that, well, I could read this 30 times in less than a month. And then I can move on to another book. I may be able to cover two books in 30 days. The point is, is that you're spending some repetitious time. In his, in his uh, Bible reading plan, he said it'll take you about seven years to do it, if you do it like that. And then he went back and started including portions of the Old Testament. By the way, the name of that book, and I recommend it to you, is called How to Eat Your Bible. <laughs> and the author is Nick Pickowitz, P-I-C-O-W-I-C-Z. Real small book, but gets packed with a lot of information. So again, I would just encourage you to develop whatever plan works for you. Make it a priority to read your Bible repetitiously. And, you know, we learn that way. We learn by repetition. You didn't learn how to tie your shoe the first time you were shown how to tie your shoe, right? You had to keep doing it. And you messed up a lot of times. You tied knots that you didn't even think you could tie while you were trying to learn. But after a while, you got it. And it became second nature. It's like riding a bike. I haven't been on a bike in a few years, but I tell you what, I can go get on one now and just ride right down the road with no problem. You could too. Because we did it so many times. You know what happens when you do it so many times? You go from short-term memory to long-term memory. You know how come when you read in the morning... And by the end of the day, you can't remember it because it's only in your short-term memory. It's not in your long-term memory. You know how you get it in your long-term memory? you got to read it repetitiously. If you're reading over something a bunch of times, the same information, after a while, you're going to get that in there, and you're going to remember it. And there are some things that we have in our long-term memory because we spent a lot of time working on it. We spent a lot of time reading this over and over and over. And so, again, I would encourage you to do it that way. You want to remember what you read. And I believe the Bible does that for us. It accommodates that for us. And what I mean by this is that when you read the Bible, you'll find certain truths taught over and over in a repetitious manner. For example, here's some examples. Over in Genesis 41:32, God repeated a dream to Pharaoh twice to show that the matter was confirmed by God, and God was quickly to bring it about. That's what Joseph revealed to Pharaoh, by the way. Deuteronomy 5. You know what Deuteronomy 5 is? It's a repeat of what? The Ten Commandments. In fact, Deuteronomy is called second law because there's a repeat of things that were given in Exodus. You know, the Bible speaks about various subjects a number of times. For example, the virgin birth occurs in Matthew 123, 125, Luke 127, Luke 134, just to name a few. The Bible speaks of the crucifixion of Christ in all four Gospels, in the book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Hebrews, and Revelation. The Bible speaks about the deity of Christ over a hundred times in the New Testament. The Bible speaks about salvation over a hundred times in the New Testament. The point is, God uses repetition, so we should too. 
So you must read the Bible prayerfully, undistractedly, daily, repetitiously. And then number five, read it carefully. Read it carefully. Don't hurry as you read through a passage. That's one of the reasons why we don't remember because we're in such a hurry. You know, it's kind of like we went through the drive through with our Bible. You know, we just drove around the corner a few times and we want to open the Bible. Well, what's my daily quote for today? Boom, I got it. Here's the pill to take now. I got my Bible pill. You know, and some people treat their Bible just like a pill you take in the morning, like they take their medicine. Well, let me take my Bible. Let me consume a little bit of it for today. You got to read it carefully. And one of the ways you do that, take whatever time you need to read. I know the plan says five minutes, but what if it's 10 minutes reading the chapter? What if it's 20 minutes reading the chapter? Because you want to read over it a number of times. A cursory Google search reveals a plethora of articles on how to read. People often struggle with reading. I'll be honest with you, I struggle with reading. You know why I struggle with reading? It has nothing to do with my ability to read. It had everything to do with the drugs I took years ago. And so to this day, I have trouble with my reading. So I have to accommodate for that. So repetition works really good for me, but I know it'll work good for you. You know, when you memorize scripture, that's what you're doing. You're going over and over and over. You're saturating your mind with it. And of course, when I put a song to it, now you can sing it, you can quote it, you can sing it, you can pray it. I mean, you can do everything with it. But you need to find what's the right method of reading in order to better understand the text in front of them. What's the best approach? Should I go slow? Should I go fast? Should I scan this? Should I search this? You know, we find examples in the Bible when people would read it. For example, in Acts 8.30, we find Philip. He comes up on the Ethiopian eunuch, and he hears him reading from Isaiah the prophet. And so he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? So what was he doing? He was reading it out loud. I love to read out loud when I'm at the house because now my ears can hear it, what my mouth is saying. You know what else I do? I'll sit in front of my computer, have my Bible open, and I'll pull an audio Bible up, either on my computer or my phone, and I'll let it play the version I'm reading, and I will follow as I'm listening. So I'm getting the best of both worlds. They didn't only read it out loud, but they also read it publicly. When the believers would meet, or when they would meet in the synagogue or the church, they would read the Bible out loud. Acts 13, 15, it says, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue official sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And they said that to Paul, and Paul did have much to say, by the way. Colossians 4.16 says, And when this letter is read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So they were to reach each other's letter. First Thessalonians 5.27 says, I implore you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So they were encouraged to read the Bible out loud in church. And this is one of the main reasons why we do this. This is why we stand up here week after week and read the Scripture publicly. 
because we have that example of the early church doing that. 1 Timothy 4.13, by the way, says this, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. I believe that's a wonderful verse for expository preaching also, because you're going to read the text, you're going to explain the text, you're going to apply the text. That's what expository preaching does. In fact, when he says give attention, that literally means that there is preparation in private beforehand. So before you get up there and read, you're going to have some time with the text before you read it. And if I'm a reader in the service, you know what I'm going to do before I get up there? I'm going to read it by myself somewhere else, not in the church where I'm fixing to do it, but I'm going to read it somewhere else so I can read through it. I don't want to get a surprise when I'm going through this, even though I may have read it a hundred times in the past. So we need to do what works the best, and we need to follow the example of Scripture. You may want to explore the theories behind the practice of reading, especially for the purpose of Bible study. You may want to vary your approach. You might want to start reading a text at a comfortable comfortable pace in order to get the context and the flow of thought as the author is writing. If you do that, you're certainly going to have a general sense of the content. If you go back and read it more slowly and begin to examine it more deeply, that will help you as well. Rudyard Kipling, he said, I kept six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. I sent them over land and sea. I sent them east and west, but after they have worked for me, I have given them all a rest. So what's he talking about? Well, careful Bible reading involves questions. Ask questions. Take those five friends or six friends and write them out and ask questions, especially stuff like this. Who, who is talking right now as I read this? Is this the Lord talking? Is this Paul talking? Is this somebody else talking? Who, who's the author that is giving me this information? Secondly, who's he talking to? Who's the audience? Are they believers, unbelievers, combination of believer and unbeliever? I remember a little debate I had with someone on Facebook. I usually don't do this, but I did based upon some of the stuff he was saying. And uh, all of my responses came from repetitious reading of text. From doing that over and over, and those were things that came to mind. And some of these questions, these six questions help as well. So it involves reading. As you read the Bible, you're going to have many questions. But just keep in mind, the Bible also has the answers. You're not left in the dark. And you'll certainly discover that as you read the entire Bible. Martin Luther said this about his study of the Bible. He says, I study my Bible as I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest might fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I've shaken each limb, I shake every branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb, study book after book, and then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters when they do not break the sense. Then I shake every twig or a careful study of the paragraphs and sentences and words and their meanings. 
Another word that describes careful reading is the word assiduously. That means to read with great care, to read with great attention, to read with great persistence. If you read the scripture assiduously, it means that your approach to the text is going to involve great care. It's going to involve intense scrutiny. It's going to be an unrelenting vigor. This is where you grab a verse and you wrestle with it until you understand why it's there. 18th century New England pastor Jonathan Edwards, he offered this encouragement. He said, be assiduous in reading the Holy Scriptures. This is the fountain whence all knowledge and divinity must be derived. Therefore, let not this treasure lie by you neglected. This is what I have to do each week when I'm studying. I I have to just pour over it and pour over it, and I can't leave until I understand what it means. What benefit would you have if I stand up here and talk around the verse and never talk about the verse and never explain the verse? doesn't help. So those are five ways that you can read the Bible. And this is what I was pursuing to give you last Sunday, and then today we would be off somewhere else. But as I began to meditate on this this week, I thought of two other things that you need to do with this. So after you have read prayerfully and undistractedly, daily, repetitiously, and carefully, you must also memorize the Bible. Memorize the Bible. You say, that is a complete, utter impossibility. No, it's not. You memorize a lot of things. Let's go back to tying your shoes. You did it repetitiously. You know how to do it. You know there are things you memorize, like your address, your phone number. You you might less remember your phone number in the smartphones now because it remembers it for you. You know, I can't remember anybody's phone number half the time now. It used to be we kept it in a little print address book, and you had to go look for it when you were going to call somebody. Remember that? And then we got away from that, and it got started getting saved on your phone. Dallard Willard, he's the professor of philosophy at University of Southern California. He wrote this. He says, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's where you need it. How does it get in your mouth? Memorization. Chuck Swindoll wrote, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing Scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witnessing will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. So scripture memory has many benefits. And one of those benefits is you remember what you read. And that's what's helpful about the repetitious reading, is to remember what you read. Another benefit is it prevents you from sinning. Over in Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where is he treasuring the word at? In his heart. 
If he's putting it in his heart, he's putting it in by memory. He's learning it by memory. He's memorizing it. So that when he is tempted to sin, he has scripture that comes to his memory that helps him to provide a way of escape. Not only does it prevent you from sinning, but it also will teach you and admonish you. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're letting the word dwell in you. To do that, you've got to memorize it. You know, this was the practice of the Israelites. They were told in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. He didn't want them just to be written down in a book. He wanted it to be on their heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So listen, if I want to talk about the Word of God all the time in my house, I've got to memorize it. I'm not going to always have a print Bible in front of me. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, You shall therefore place these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes. You know Jesus quoted Scripture from memory? In Matthew 4.4, after he was being tempted by the devil, he responded. He said, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. A few moments later, another temptation by the devil. Jesus responds, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So if he memorized scripture and saw that as a priority, then why can't we? You know what kind of people we'd become if we're memorizing scripture all the time? Biblical people. I mean, it's like uh, as Charles Spurgeon said, you know, we need to have so much of the Bible in us that if we were ever pricked in the middle of the night, that we would bleed Bibline, bleed Bible. Wouldn't it be nice that if someone comes to you and they have a question about life, that you know the answer from the Bible? Because you're learning it, you're studying it, you're memorizing it. One more step, not only do you need to read the Bible and memorize the Bible, but third, you need to meditate on the Bible. It goes hand in hand. You don't want to stop just at memorizing it. You want to think about it all the time. That's what meditation does. D.M. Howard says, the idea of meditating here is not the one commonly familiar in the late 20th century, namely of emptying the mind and concentrating on nothing or on self or on visualizations of various types. Much of this type of meditation is indebted to Eastern mystic religions. Rather, he says, the Old Testament concept of meditation involved two things. First, a focus upon God himself and his works or his law. And second, on an activity that was done out loud. Let me talk more about this before we leave this. Webster defines the word meditate 
as to dwell on anything in thought, to contemplate, to study, to turn or revolve any subject in the mind. See, if you're memorizing the scripture, then you're turning it over and over and over in your mind. And then as you think about what is going over and over and over in your mind, that is causing you to think about the right things. It's causing you to think about your heavenly father. It's causing you to think about scripture. It's causing you to think about whatever the subject matter of that verse is you memorized. It causes you to focus your thoughts, to reflect on or ponder over, again, what the subject matter of that word is. The Hebrew word for, for meditate means to murmur, means to whisper. It's the inner whispering of the heart. The Greek word means to revolve in the mind, to imagine. We could say that meditation is a talking within the mind that issues forth in speech. It's what David did in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4, when he said to himself, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's telling himself to do this. We used to think you saw somebody walking down the road and they were just kind of talking that they were something mentally wasn't right there, right? You can't say that anymore because I remember a few times when I'd have my Bluetooth on and I'm talking on the phone and my wife would turn, who are you talking to? Just thinking I'm talking out loud. And a lot of times I'll go, I'll do this. I'll point to my ear or point to my phone. I'm on the phone. And I, I prefer talking on a Bluetooth because my hands are free now, and especially if I'm driving. In fact, that is the law, to be honest. It's the law in Georgia, I know this. We up to Georgia a lot for therapy for Samuel. But in, the law, in Georgia, you cannot hold your phone while you're driving. If a police officer sees you doing that, he has every right to pull you over, and he will write you a ticket for holding your phone, talking on your phone while you're driving. They said that you can use a headset. Did you know when you're driving you can't cover both ears? You can only cover one because you can't hear traffic or horns or anything else around you. Same is true on a bicycle. I always thought that people who rode bicycles were to observe the traffic laws until the other day I was at the light and I watched two police officers on bikes ride right through that red light. I went, huh, you're not setting a good example here. You're supposed to stop. Well, they stopped for a second, and then they just kept going. Was I going to say anything to them? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I made sure I stopped, and that's all I was concerned with. Did you know Philippians 4.8 tells you what to think about? It tells you what should occupy your mind. Things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and commendable it says that we are to think on these things. Think on these things. When God charged Joshua, he told him to constantly think, that is, talk within his mind, the book of the law so that he would do it. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be prosperous. 
And the book of the law, that's a reference to Scripture. You know what he was referring to when he told Joshua that? The first five books of Moses, because the book of the law was referring to the first five books. Simply memorizing or quoting Scripture is not enough. Meditation involves a mature reflection on the Word of God, and it becomes the basis for spiritual growth. John Calvin said, whenever meditation of the law is intermittent, that is ceased at intervals, even for a short time, many errors readily creep in, and the memory becomes rusted. I understand that. There are certain things that I do. You know, we do a radio program every Sunday morning at 8.30 on WAYR. That's AM 550 and FM 104.5. Well, normally when I make those programs, I like to make a lot of them and then put them all up. Well, that means that I'm out of the program for extended periods of time. The last program I made before last week, I made a couple months worth, I had about three or four months worth up, so I hadn't been in the program that long. So every time I go back in the program, you know what I have to do? I have to remember how it works. Even though I've used the program for years, I just have to keep reacquainting myself, especially when they do updates to it. And they put something over here that was over here. I don't like when they do that. But i got to reacquaint myself. You know, you may have read the Bible a hundred times in your life, and yet you get to a, a section you're kind of familiar with, and you read through it, thinking that I will go ahead and read this again and not just count on the fact I know what's here. And you know what? You find out that you're seeing something that you didn't see before. That's why you want repetition. That's why you want memorization. Just think about this. You know, if, if you're teaching a class or you're wanting to share with a family member and, or with a friend and you're memorizing some verses and before you get to that conversation, you've been thinking about it, running it over in your mind. You've been meditating on it, reflecting on it. Guess what? When it comes time to talk about it, all that's going to come out. So we have to do this. You know, Psalm 1, 1 through 3 reveals this as being the way of the righteous. It says he meditates in this day and night. Day and night. Psalm 119, verse 15, he meditates on your precepts. Psalm 119, 48, he meditates on your statutes. Psalm 119, 99, he meditates on your testimonies. Psalm 119, 148, he meditates on your word. So God's word is the object of his meditation. It's, it's the object of his affections. Psalm 119, 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Wouldn't you like to think on the Word of God all day long? Wouldn't you like to remember what you read? Wouldn't you like to have that when you're sharing Christ with somebody? I know this is the activity of the preacher according to 1 Timothy 4.15. He is to give constant attention to reading and exhortation and teaching He's to meditate on these things. Paul said that to Timothy. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. What's that mean? Well, the more that I'm meditating on the things of God, the more it's going to change my life. I'm going to be conscious of the Word. I'm going to be conscious of my obedience to the Word. You know, when you forsake the Bible the most... 
Not just being too busy or lazy, but also when you're going through trials. I had to tell somebody this past week, the trials that they're going through, I said, if I could encourage you in any way, keep your heart in the Bible. Listen to it. If you're having trouble focusing and being, you know, concentrating on what you're reading, then listen to it read to you. Over there in 1 Timothy 4, the word meditate there, it means to take pains with. In the New American Standard Bible, it carries the idea of thinking through beforehand. It means to plan, to strategize, to premeditate. When not involved in ministry, the excellent minister is preparing and he's praying and he's planning for it. I'll tell you what, Dwayne goes over to the jail after the service and ministers to prisoners over there. And I can guarantee you that he doesn't go there without any kind of preparation or planning. And I'll probably tell you this, it's probably true too. He has a lot of it in his mind memorized. Because when you have people, especially people you don't know, they probably come at you with one question after another. And you don't have time. Sit here and fumble around. People ask me questions all the time too, and sometimes I can answer just like that because the question triggers something already read in the scripture or something already studied. Now, the other side is true too. We had this happen what last Wednesday. We were talking about women with their head covering, and Dwayne said he listened to my sermon. I said, Well, what did I say? <laughs> what did I believe? Because it was a few years. That's right, Charlotte. It was a few years since I had taught on it and read it. I had to go back and remember what I believed about that because I don't read much about head coverings, you know. I know this. If I have my ball cap on and I pray, I always pull my hat off. I always do that. There's a reason for that. Go listen to the sermon. But here's the biggest thing I like. You do all this and you're not going to forget the word of God. The psalmist said this, Psalm 119, verse 15 and 16, I will muse or I will meditate upon your precepts and look upon your ways. I shall delight in your statues. Here it is. I shall not forget your word. Well, if you're doing all that, you're not going to forget it. So, if we're meditating on the word of God, it's going to cause us to be consumed in the work of ministry. It's going to cause us not to forget the scripture. It's going to cause us not to sin against the Lord because we're treasuring it in our hearts. It's going to cause us to be consumed in the work of ministry. William Bridge said, Meditation will keep your hearts and souls from sinful thoughts. When the vessel is full, you can put in no more. If the heart be full of sinful thoughts, there is no room for holy and heavenly thoughts. If the heart be full of holy and heavenly thoughts by meditation, there is no room for evil and sinful thoughts. Meditation also teaches us to fear God. Deuteronomy 17, 19, And it shall be with you, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear Yahweh his God to carefully observe all the words of this law and these statutes. See, beloved, this is God's word. We need to remember it. 
Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following, but you continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this at all. Bible reading, Bible memorization, Bible meditation, it is work. It is work. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes effort, but it will help you to understand God's Word. It will help you in your prayer life. It will help you in your evangelism. It will help you in spiritual warfare. So to get the most out of your Bible reading... You need to read it prayerfully, undistractedly, daily, repetitiously, carefully, and then you need to memorize and meditate on Scripture. And why do I want to do all that? Well, let me give you another verse. Romans 15 and verse 4. Paul says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We are sinful people. We live in a sinful world. We need the holy, righteous, pure word of God to cleanse our minds and our hearts and to constantly remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. No wonder the reformers would say this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I know what he means by that. We are creatures that forget we get caught up in the things of the world and we get caught up in things at work and things that we're hearing in the news and the political climate, the culture. We get caught up in hearing all this stuff that we forget what God has to say about all of that. <clears throat> if you haven't made a commitment to read the Bible, I want to encourage you to make it today. Make it right now. And I would even tell you, if, if, if today is going to be the first day or tomorrow's the first day you're going to start a Bible reading plan, just start right there. Don't feel like you've got to backtrack unless you just want to. I know you get that little feeling in your heart that you're not doing something right if you start at chapter 3 or chapter 6. Start there and maybe in another free time pick up the other chapters. But I believe if you'll make this commitment, you're going to be informed by the Scripture. You're going to be comforted. You're going to be given hope and reminded of your hope because you're going to know what God's Word says. And in knowing what it says and what it means, and what it means, of course, is a whole different subject, but it's going to cause you to do it. But none of this can occur without any kind of relationship with Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Christ... Uh, that's your first battle right there. Because you're certainly not going to have any reason to read the Scripture or to study it if you don't know Him. Now, you could be a person that wants to know Him. Read the Word. I told a guy a long time ago, he used to love to debate me. I'd come out of work, and he was a security guard, so I would stand there and talk to him for a little while. I was single, didn't... The only place I was going was home, so I could talk to him for a while. And we would talk, and he'd ask me some really bizarre questions. 
And I remember one day talking to him and witnessing to him, and I told him, I said, you know, if I'm going to be judged by the things in this book, I'd at least want to know what's in here. Wouldn't you? Because if I know what's in here, Lord willing, I can do something about it. Because I know now. I've been informed. Jesus was asked by the disciples in Matthew 13, 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Do you remember his answer? He said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now let me tell you something that's occurring in this verse that you don't get in this cursory English reading. To you is emphatic in the verse. It's in the right place in the verse for it to be emphatic. But here's what it means to say a word is emphatic. If I read this verse back to you, this is what it means. To you and to you alone, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, not to them, only to you. Isn't that wonderful? So if you want to know God's word, then you must commit your life to Christ. You must commit your life to a long commitment and dedication to this book. You can't understand the Scripture apart from Christ and apart from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is the one who illumines your heart. He gives you understanding. And so I hope last week and this week, this can be, just be something to encourage you, something that will remind you of how important it is to read the Scripture, how important it is to memorize it, meditate on it, and this is a journey for all of us. I'm not telling you this uh, and to say it's not hard work, because it is. And it's just as much hard work for me as it is for you. But I will tell you this, if you don't make it a priority, it's not going to happen. You have to put it at the top of the list. Because those are the things that we do. Those are the things that we follow up on in our life, things that we have made priority. So I would encourage you to feast on the word. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together and looking at these basic truths. And I pray for everyone in here that they have that kind of commitment to your word and, and that kind of commitment to you. And Father, if they don't, I pray that you will convict them of that and that they would start today doing the right thing. We praise you for this time together. And we just pray as we study the Word, as we read the Word, Lord, as we hear it taught like we've done this morning, that we would do the fourth thing and go share it. That we'd remember that we pull out of here, we're in the mission field, and uh, we have something to say, and the world needs it. So we pray that you would use us this week for your glory, and that you would use us to lead people to Christ. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name.